0: Welcome to Encompass Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us today. To share your story of what God has been doing in you and through you, take a moment to email us at amen at Enjoy today's message. Thank you. Please take your seats. It's always embarrassing when people talk like that. If you stay around long enough, you end up doing a few things, uh, so. Oh, what's this? Oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) Very good. Wow, what a great sense of God's presence to you today, eh? Wasn't it wonderful? I love that worship. Thank you, worship peoples. That was fantastic, really good. And um, it's good to see that this change in church is going so well, so smoothly. Pastor Jason looking after you, okay? Yeah? Yeah? Good. Don't come to me with any complaints, okay? I'm I'm not I don't do complaints. Okay. But I'm sure you don't have any complaints. They are wonderful. And uh, you know, Pastor John Lois away having a nice holiday. Isn't that marvelous? Wouldn't you like to be away on a holiday? No, you wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, stop. Prattling on, he says, get on with it. Okay, I'm here to preach. Um, I would like to draw your attention to, to a biblical event that you already know everything all about it. Okay? Here's the preacher's dilemma. Okay? Because sometimes a preacher has to take you to a passage of Scripture, very frequently, that you're already very familiar with. And so we can hear the little switch in the head that says, oh, I know all about this. Because you've heard it preached about And perhaps you were taught it in your children's classes or Sunday school or whatever you went to. And then it's such a familiar passage of Scripture that most people say, yeah, okay, yeah, let's settle back in now. Let's think of the football or something, you know. I mean, because we know all about this. But the Bible is far deeper than we can sometimes appreciate. And we can look at the same thing many times and see some things we've never seen before. I want to draw your attention to an event that happens very early in the life and ministry of Jesus when he turns the water into wine. Now, I know you know all about it. I know you can tell me the story, which saves me a little bit of time because I don't have to tell you the story because you know all about it, right? But I want to just take a different look at this thing. I want to look at it in a slightly different way that I hope will challenge you and help you and and bless you this morning. Is that all right? Okay, so hands up all those who promise they're not gonna go to sleep. There's about a half a dozen. The rest of you at the back there didn't put your hand up, so it's okay, just don't snore, okay? You know the story, he turns the water into wine. But then, at the end, in John chapter two, verse 10, it says, that the guy who was looking after the feast, the MC, the guy who's in charge of it all, okay, he, he says this, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Hope that's not the case in your wedding. But you have saved the best till now. And that was the thing, it was a a surprise, because he expected that they would have served the best wine first, and we all know they would have, but they didn't have it to serve. Yeah? And they did, as far as they were concerned, serve their best wine first, and then they served their second best wine, then their third best wine, then they come down to the rubbish, and they served all of that, and then they had nothing left absolutely nothing and what I find interesting about this is you know this is a small village it's Nazareth Um, can any good thing come out of Nazareth they said it was just a little hick country town and Jesus is going to a family wedding not a big deal just an insignificant event It will never be recorded in the books of history. One of a billion marriages. And yet, and yet, in this little tiny village, in this very insignificant little wedding that is not extraordinary at all, just a boring, ordinary wedding, Jesus decided... That he would show the world his glory there. Wow. See, if you had some glory to show, you'd want to put it on the stage, right? You want to turn up at the MCG, walk out in the middle of the football game, say, stop. Watch this. Boom. Wouldn't you? You want to make a display of it. You see, but Jesus didn't have a PR company to explain this to him, that he needed to maximize the effect by having a crowd or, or, or doing a press release or, you know, turning up on the steps of parliament. And so, so he turned up at this wedding, and you could say, what a waste. What a complete waste of this magnificent revelation of power. You, you wasted it, man. You could have used that somewhere else. Think, if he'd gone to the temple... And he said to everybody that was coming in on the Sabbath, hey, take this this wine and, and dipped it in the water and started handing out wine to the thousands of people who came to the temple. Hey, he'd be famous in a day. What did he waste all this for? What was he doing? Well, the magnificent thing about this, you see, is that it shows me That God is really interested in our little private tragedies, that they're important to him. That our personal difficulties are more important to him than impressing the world with who he is. Do you know God is not out to impress the world about who he is? You do know that, don't you? If he did, he could think of what he could do. He doesn't do that. He sent his son who took upon himself the form of a servant who humbled himself. He wasn't there to impress. When his son died, he dies as a criminal on a cross. That's not the way to impress. When he rose again from the dead, there was nobody there. They turned up too late. It was already done. The Roman soldiers had run away. The women came and the tomb was empty. Peter rushed in and he was gone. There's just an angel say, oh, he's already gone. You missed him. He wasn't trying to impress the world. He doesn't want to do that. What he's come for is not to make an impression on the world, but to help us in our lives. That's his focus. Our ordinary, to other people, insignificant problems are important to God. Our troubles, which are great to us, but nobody else appreciates how great they are, it's those troubles that God wants to help you with. What other people think is small. God takes seriously. You see, when... We face our own personal problems. Sometimes we don't want to share them with anybody because they're personal. And sometimes we figure that we have to work this out on our own one way or another. And so what we often happens to us is we get engaged in doing things. We think, what's the best thing I can do here? How do I solve this problem? And how can I fix this difficulty? And what will I do? And we start getting engaged in all sorts of stuff, right? We, We do things to fix the problem. We don't just sit down there and cry and do nothing. We get up and we do as much as we possibly can. And there are times when in doing all we possibly can, we come to the realization nothing works. Yeah? I tried it all. And then... We say, well, I quit. No, that's not what happened at this wedding. Because they did try it all and nothing worked, but then they went to Jesus. And I want to suggest to you, as simple as it may seem, that one of the problems we face in our Christian life is we're trying to fix everything without going to Jesus. I know. Wow, that's simple. It doesn't work like that, Pastor. Well, I think it does. Let's have a look at this a little bit, right? You see, it's interesting that as soon as they turned to Jesus, he did something. Now, you say, yeah, well, true, but but hang wait. Do you know he was present at the wedding all the way through? He didn't turn up at the end when they ran out of wine. He was there before they started giving out the wine. Now, isn't that interesting? Because he's the Son of God. He is divine, and he has all the attributes of divinity, which means he is all-knowing. He knows everything. He walked into that place with a smile on his face and said, hey, guess what? They're going to run out of wine today, and they don't even know it. He could have said that, couldn't he? He could have gone up to them and said, hey, listen, buddy, put some more wine in there. You don't have enough. He didn't. He did not. He watched them serving the wine. He watched it going down, and down, and down, and down, and down. And he watched them start to panic. Oh no, we're running out of wine. And he watched till the last drop of wine was given away. And he's watching, and he doesn't say a word, and he doesn't stop it from happening. Think, he is not only all-knowing, he is all-powerful. All he had to do was decide that the wine would never run out and it wouldn't run out would it after all we know he can cause oil to run and never run out and what's the difference between a cruise of oil and a pot of water he could turn it all into wine and just let it keep running like a tap and he didn't do it he didn't do it and he was there and he knew and he had the power to fix it and he did absolutely nothing. Same as with you. He did nothing. And he could have stopped it, couldn't he? And he knew it was happening, didn't he? And he didn't do anything about it, did he? And you accused him of that, and you said, why didn't you stop it from happening? And he doesn't answer you, does he? And you said... You could have stopped that. You knew what was happening. Why didn't you do something about it? But he doesn't do things like that, does he? He didn't stop you losing your job, did he? He didn't stop you having an accident in your car, did he? He didn't stop you getting sick, did he? He didn't stop you running out of money, did he? And we accuse him. We accuse him of negligence and we say, You don't love me. You don't love me because you allowed this to happen in my life. You don't love me because, you know, you could have stopped it. You could have done something else. You could have stepped in. You don't love me. You don't care about me. And we make accusations against him. But all the time, he's standing there. And all the time, you're ignoring him until you think he should have done something before without you even asking about it. God will not intervene in your life generally unless you ask. If you ask, he will answer. If you seek, he will find. If you knock, it will be opened. And if you don't do anything, don't expect anything to happen. You must come to him. Mm, I know you don't like it, right? Right? I know you don't like it. It's got very quiet in here. You think you're wrong. Go through the Bible. Go through the Bible. One of the great issues that God has with Israel is you never asked. You should have asked, and then you wouldn't have done that stupid thing of going down there and trying to invade Jericho without me. You should have asked without going to battle, without talking to me but you can stop it. But he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't because this is so important for you to understand, so important for you to appreciate. He is there. He watched it. He knew their need. He knew what would happen. He had a supply and he knew their supply was inadequate, but he wants them to come to a place of understanding that they need him and they come and ask him. What does he say? You say, teach us to pray. And he says, okay, ask. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, ask. Ask. Our Christian faith is based on our relationship with him. And it's necessary for us to come to our father and to ask our father. We can't presume that God is just going to be protecting us from all the things that go wrong in life and all the little troubles and all the little difficulties. And if he doesn't do that, then he doesn't love us. You're acting like a spoiled child. Grow up. Stuff happens, and when it does, come and ask God, what's wrong with that? Why are you getting all upset with him because he didn't stop something from happening when he's there to fix the thing that does happen? well, see, you say, well, if he had stopped it, then I wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, that's true. And then you wouldn't ask. And then you wouldn't know the miracle. You'd just be the same. And you'd never know that he did anything, would you? Because you wouldn't know because he kept stopping bad things happening. So you wouldn't know that God was working. So you would say, why aren't you doing anything in my life? He says, I am, but you can't see it because nothing ever goes wrong. You see, he can't wait. So for your growth and your development, your maturity and the growing of your faith, it is necessary for us to encounter the normal issues of life that is normal to everybody saved and unsaved because the rain falls upon the just and the unjust and all those things that happen to people in the world will happen to us and he won't stop it but he is there with you. Turn to him. Yeah? God is our refuge and strength, David says, a very present help in trouble. He's there. He's there, okay? Every good gift and every perfect gift, James tells us, is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or turning. He doesn't change. He's there all the time. He hasn't changed from then till now. He's still there all the time. You see, he's with you now. Just as he was with them in the fiery furnace. Just as he was with him in the Daniel in the lion's den. He's with you. There's no difference here. He's with you. You see? He's with you as you face your Jericho wall. He's with you in your darkest times. And why does God allow the dark times? So you can find that he is in the darkness as well as in the light. You're not separated from him by darkness. You need to know that. So you need to experience that. Isn't that right? Oh, have you ever watched them teach little children to swim? It's cruel. You see, how many of you, I won't ask, because it's a cruel thing to do. You take your little kids along, sometimes they can't even properly walk, and they take them into swimming, and they chuck them in, well, not chuck them in the water, but put them in the water and let go of them. And the poor little things, they're thrashing around. They're going under the water, they're coming up. It's the cruelest thing you've ever seen. But you know, it teaches them to swim. That's why God threw you in the deep end. He could have known, hey, yeah, why did you do that? Don't you love me? Yeah, but you have to learn to swim. Yeah? Okay. So we're dealing with a problem, aren't we? The problem is our misunderstanding of the way God works. Because we think that he's there to stop anything bad happening to us. And he asks you this question, where the heck did you get that idea? I have never made that promise to you. Actually, I made the opposite problem, promised you. I said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. That's what he told you. But that's not what you want. So stop listening to what you want. Start listening to what he said. You see, our will gets in the way. We want God to do what we want. No, you're not, we're never crystal clear on that. We wouldn't dare to admit that. But that's what happens. We want God to do what we want. Okay, this is what we want, you must do this. Okay, and when God doesn't do that, we accuse him of not loving us or not caring for us or anything else. Now here's the strange thing about it, that you know, when we come to God and we say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Then we say, what? My will be done. No, you said thy will be done. But you, want, you don't believe it. You don't want it. What you want is your will to be done. But you pray thy will be done. And there's the problem, see? You're upset because your will's not being done. But his contract with you is he doesn't do your will. He does his will. Now, why doesn't he do your will? Because you don't have a flipping clue what really is best. And you keep stuffing up all the time. But when his will is done, you get the best wine. Isn't that right? Come on now. I am never accused of being ambiguous in my preaching. When I walk away from here, I want you to understand some biblical truth very clearly. Not being angry. I'm not being nasty. I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm trying to clarify something so we can fix a problem for you. Yeah? See, the problem is not God. The problem is the way our attitudes towards Him and our thinking about Him, which is not biblical. We've got these stupid ideas from goodness knows where. It's like a disease. We've picked it up somewhere. It's like, you know. So, you see, when you think that you've come to the end of what is the best— When you think that you've got the end of all that you can do and that's it now, there's only disaster and you don't have enough strength and you have no more wisdom and you have no more ability and you have no more supply and you have nothing and that's the end of it. It is at that time then that God can give you the best he's got. Because until that time you're going to hold on to what you've got. Think about that for a minute. You don't want to let go, do you? So he has to let it run out. Come to the end. It's not until you come to the end of that rope that you're willing to now let God catch you. Isn't that right? We don't want it. It's uncomfortable. It's not what we desire. It's not our will. It's not we think the best. Because you see, why should these people at the wedding go through all that gut-wrenching anxiety of watching the wine disappear and knowing they don't have many um, more. They are so anxious. They're so upset. They're thinking, about, think of our reputation. We've ruined our reputation. I haven't got any more money to buy that. What am I going to do? Where am I going to get it? You can think of all the stuff going on inside them all the time, and Jesus is standing there. Yeah. 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 Why? We've got to get rid of all of that this dependence on self, this thing that you, 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 you're the best, you've got the best answers, you've got the best solution, we have to get rid of all of that. And when you come to the end, he says, now let me show you something better. Let me show you something better. When he gives you the best, he's not giving you enough. He's giving you more than enough. When he gives you the best, he's not giving you sufficient. He's giving you abundance. When he gives you the best, he's he's committed to do something for you that no one else can do. It's unique, it's the best. You may come to God and say, Why did you take that from me? I want it back again. But let me tell you something God will not take anything from you without planning to give you something better. You only lost it because you didn't have the best. He has the best for you. You see, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who only doeth wondrous things. He only doeth wondrous things. That's why it must really hurt the heart of God when you accuse him of doing something less than wondrous. You don't love me? Why are you punishing me? What have I done wrong? Why are you doing this to me? How that must hurt the God who only does wondrous things. Because he only does wondrous things. And if it wasn't wondrous, he didn't do it. He didn't do it because it wasn't wondrous. Are we going? Are we still friends? Oh, there's a couple here that are my friends anyway. I mean, just. There, Isaiah said, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things planned long ago. Before Jesus turned up at the wedding, he knew what was going to happen and he had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. And before you entered into your problem and your difficulty, your circumstance, your situation, your desperation, God already knew it. He had planned from long ago for you to be where you are so that he can do wondrous things for you. And there will only be wondrous things for you if you understand you didn't do it, you couldn't do it, and now God steps in to do it, and you will be amazed and you will see the wondrous things of God. Okay. I say to you then, if you're in a difficult situation right now, you turn to him, expect something wonderful. Expect the best. Don't ask for the least. If you ask your father for a fish, will he give you a stone? No. But let me say this. If you ask your father for a fish, he won't give you flathead, he'll give you barramundi. You get the point? Do you get the point? If you ask for meat, he will not give you a scorpion, he'll give you wagu. Yeah? He gives you the best, only the best, only the best, only the best. So let's come back to this idea that he turns the water into wine. Just for a minute. Now, here's the problem. You've got Several groups of people involved in this thing that's going on here. Obviously the guy that's running the wedding didn't have a clue what actually was going on. He just tasted the wine. But you have another group of people called the servants who had actually brought the water in and stuck it in the pot and they knew, they knew it was water. They may have had a drink bringing it back from the well. How thirsty work carrying water buckets. And they put water in that pot, and they knew it was water in that pot, and there's only water in that pot, and nothing else but water in that pot. And then Jesus asked them to do what was absolutely insane. He said, take the water out of the pot and go give it to the people who are expecting to receive wine. Now, if you were the servant, you would say, nah. Nah, 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 Th- nah, I'm going to get into trouble over that. Somebody's going to hit me over the head. No way in the world, I'm going to put water on the table instead of wine. I'll lose my job. He said, Put water on the table. See, here's the issue with God sometimes. When God provides a solution from the pro- for your problem, it doesn't look like the best. It can look like water, not wine. God doesn't always show you how wonderful the answer is. And it becomes real when you do it. Yeah? So God gives you a solution to the problem and you say, nah, that won't work. Nah, nah, won't work, won't work. He says, will you just do it? Will you just do it? Will you just put that stone in the sling and throw it? I'll take care of everything. Nah, won't work, won't work. Won't work. Will you just take that stick and hold it up over this sea? You know, and I'll, I'll do the rest. You just take your stick and hold it up in the air. Right? Nah, won't do it. Won't do it. Won't do it. Will you just take that little boy's lunch here? And I'll give it to you. And you go out and start giving him that. Won't work. Won't work. Won't work. Won't work. Won't work. Won't work. Will you just take that little pot of oil and just start pouring it out? And just don't stop pouring. Won't work. Won't work. Won't work. That's why you never had your miracle, because you wouldn't do it. You come up with another idea, which didn't work. But you missed out on the best. See, God's answers can sometimes look just so ordinary, so much like water. But you have to take what God is saying in His Word, take what God is saying to you, and you have to apply your faith. And as you apply your faith to what God is saying, and you put it into action, it is faith in action that produces that which is best. But faith, there is no faith that sits back just criticizing and analyzing what God's just asking you to do, and when you dissect it to pieces, there's nothing left. Just do it. You could sell shoes with that phrase, couldn't you? Just do it. We see an inadequate provision. We see an impossible problem. We see, like the disciples, you know, just some blows and fishes. And we, we see all of this, like Peter sees a storm and, and then Jesus says, well, yeah, come on, get out the boat. No, it won't work. It won't work. It won't work. You see, well, that's what we see because we're looking in the natural and we're not accepting what God has said by looking at the spiritual. So we fix our eyes. Not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You have to look past the physical and see God at work. And and how God can bring about amazing things if only we would have faith and do our small little thing which we think isn't going to work. God says, make the call. And we say, it's a waste of time. They won't listen. Make the call. No, no, no. Uh, They won't listen to me. Make the call. No. And nothing happens. And we say, why don't you love me? Because you didn't make the call. (laughs) Write the letter. Go see them. Talk to them. Hmm? How many times have you had that urging, that prompting of God? You've done it and you see the glory of God. And how many times have you said, no, it won't work? And you and I, with our little peanut brain, we argue with the creator of the entire universe as to who's the smartest. Do you really think you know more than him? You see, he's going to confound the wise... You do know God does this deliberately, right? Because you say, well, what's an answer? Ooh, God says, just get me a whiteboard. I'll show you now. Do you see this? You see that? Whoa, over there, do this, do that. And there's a formula for that. It's like this. And then you do this. And we would say, wow, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then God just says, well, make the call. Nah, won't work. God can crystallize the universe into something simple for you. He can crystallize a change in the direction in your life to one simple thing that you need to do because he knows we're not smart enough to really understand what's going on. All we need to know is what to do next and he breaks it down. Just do this. I take care of the rest. I don't understand. No, you can't understand. You don't need to understand. You just need to do it. Obedience is better than sacrifices. Huh? Oh, okay, so when we look at our unseen God and when our faith is in his word and we act in faith on what he says in the promises of his word, then the best will come to us. But as long as we keep looking at it as water, we're going to have nothing but water. Yeah? So from your disaster, he can bring success. And from your disappointment, he, he can bring out wonderful joy. But if we would just do what he says, yeah, because he will give you beauty for ashes, it says, and the oil of joy for mourning and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of the Lord only if you do what he says. Okay, I'm going to conclude. I tell you that because preachers are allowed to conclude at least four times according to the preachers' union in the ACC. So this is my first of the endings. All right? Now, I'm going to conclude. I'm going to ask you to think about something with me. The wedding guests were absolutely amazed at what happened that day. They were astounded. Probably the people that were the most astounded were the servants, who really understood the magnitude of what just happened, and, and I overcome their deep sense of anxiety and having to do something that was absolutely stupid and finding out it resulted in a tremendous miracle. The servants knew, the scripture says. And we know the truth. We know the truth that when faced with some of life's problems, we go to God and we ask and He answers and we seek and we find and we call upon the name of the Lord and He will not turn down those who call upon the name of the Lord. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will not be ashamed, the Scripture says. And when we do that, stuff starts happening, not just to us, but around about us. Things begin to happen. And those things, we know. We are the servants. We know. We went with the water and stuff happened. See, you can pray for your boss and not say a word about it, but stuff can start changing in that business so he doesn't go broke and you keep your job. And he'll never know. But you'll know. And you can pray for things to happen in your family with your children, and things will start happening there and you'll see the glory of God, and they will never know. This is the wonderful thing about it. The wonderful thing about it is the extent of your influence here is unlimited. You can begin to pray for things, and things can begin to happen, and, and people say, well, that was lucky, wasn't it? That was lucky? Wow, what happened there? Wow, yeah, I'm so glad I did. You know, well, no, it wasn't you, and it wasn't lucky. We believed, and God did it. Amen? You can start praying for your business. You can start praying for other people around about, your friends and your family. You can start beginning to believe God for some amazing things in your church. And pastor might say, wasn't I clever? And you say, well, yeah, yeah, you were. But really, we all know. It was God. See, there's no limit to the extent of influence. That's what I love about it. So I love as a pastor, you pray stuff happens. Marvelous. Hey, Come on. We have this opportunity. Instead of standing there saying, why did you let this happen to me? What we should be saying is, okay, God, thank you for this happening to me. I am about to break into the best. I'm about to enter into the best that you've got. This is a time not of cursing and suffering. This is a time of blessing and the best. You are about to enter the best. And other people may not know why that happens. They may attribute it to a government policy change, the change in the economy, somebody who happened luckily to find this or do this or weren't you. But you will know the truth. They will see the water. You will find the wine. And things change. Amen. Things change. Things change. It will be invisible to them, but very visible with us. Amen. 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 Did we arrive at friends in the end? Good. Sometimes you have to lose a friend to gain a friend. I want you to know this. He's there. Where? Where? Everywhere, where you are, he's there. He's there when you go to work tomorrow and you think about, I don't like this job. My boss is a mongrel. I don't like dealing with these people. These people drive me up the wall. If only you understood what it was like to be here. Hey, he's there. He's there, and you know, you can turn your heart and mind to Him rather than have it focused on all those people around about you and all the problems, and you can begin to bring it to Him. Bring it to Him. Bring it to Him. Bring it to Him. You go home today, I don't know what you're going to face, but I know He's going with you, and you can bring it to Him. You can bring it to Him. You can bring it to Him. And I know you've got some bills on the table there and you wonder what's going to happen, but you can bring it to Him. You can bring it to Him. You can bring it to Him. And whatever He's going to do is going to be the best for you. Amen? He only doeth wondrous things. He only doeth wondrous things. He will reveal His glory in the midst of our problems. That's what He's there for. Amen? Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask you right now to exercise your faith in God. I'm going to ask you right now on the basis of His Word and the promise of His Word to hold that problem that you are facing, that difficulty that you're encountering right now. I want you to hold it before God. And what I want you to do right now is give it to Him. Amen. I want you to say, this is yours, Lord. I'm handing it over to you. I'm asking for you to intervene. I'm asking for you to act right now. I want you to take this and take it away and make something better. Make the best. Why don't you do that right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, for all these people, raise your hands if you're bringing a difficulty, a problem, a situation to him right now. Yes, thank you, thank you. Oh, so many hands. Yes, Father, we bring it to you. We bring it to you. You're the one, the only one, the only one that can convert the water of our difficulties and situations into the wine of what is best for us. And we say, Lord, right now, let not our will be done, but let your will be done, and make your change in these circumstances, transform and change this situation. Invade this moment, Father. Begin to bring transformation and blessing and change to every circumstance, every situation. May the miraculous break forth. May wonderful works begin to happen right now, Father. Uh, Father, we commit it to you. We thank you for it. We receive it right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's message from Encompass Church. If today's message has impacted you and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you need prayer or if you want to get connected to the church, please contact us at office at encompass.org.au. Never miss a moment by following us online. Search for Encompass Church on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.